Arthur, I'll be in here. Quiet now, I'm recording. Hello. Tick here. <clears throat> you, my friend, well, if you're an evildoer, cover your ears. Because you are listening to the Canned Air Podcast, which is nothing but Keen Spoon! All right, Arthur, you can come out now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Candare, a tribute to comics and pop culture. I am your host, Jeremy Colley. And I'm Jack Doherty. And I am Jake Runyon. And joining us today, a very special guest uh, from projects like uh, Honcho and uh, Eat It, the Weird Al Zombie Origin Tale. That's something I can't wait to ask what? you about. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you might know him best from the Tick comic series. Writer Jeff McClellan, thanks so much for being with us today, Jeff. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, I appreciate uh, being on the show, and it's great that we are all able to uh, have names that started with J, so there won't be any confusion. <laughs> That's how you know it's going to be a great episode. J to the fourth. J <laughs> to the fourth. We've got a good episode lined up for you here today in our Retro Roundtable. We're going to be going around talking about the best and worst sidekicks uh, through comics, movies, television. I think that's going to be a lot oh, of yeah. fun. Then we're going to dive into the comic dump bin, uh, talk about some comics we're reading. What do we got, guys? Anything good? Uh, future's End. The DC 52. Very cool. I've got myself the uh, X23 complete collection. Uh, just a few things we're going to be talking about. We have a hero this week, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about. Yeah. We're going to turn our full attention over to Jeff and talk about what he's got uh, in the works and uh, just about the tick. I can't wait to talk about it. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> Pretty much the patron saint of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just kick it off with this week's Retro Round Table. All right, so the best and worst sidekicks. Um, I, I think I, we'd like to start this uh, with the best sidekicks. I guess the sidekicks that probably make the hero. Sure. And uh, being that we have Jeff here, I, I want to say first Arthur from uh, The Tick. He's probably a great sidekick. I think without Arthur, The Tick might be lost. What about you, Jeff? What do you think? I hesitated. I was like, should I should I bring up Arthur? Because I love him, obviously, as a, as a character and uh, just as a, as a concept. Um, but I felt that it was kind of cheating for me to just start with that one. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. It was on my list, too, yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it, the, the thing with the tick and the thing that makes him work so well, uh, I think, is Arthur uh, because he grounds the character. Um, I mean, the tick is madcap and he's crazy and you can do a million different things with him. And, and that's all well and good. But I think that uh, one of the, the great things about just kind of adding him to the to the mix there is it grounds the tick. It gives him a little bit of perspective and uh, lets us see lets us see kind of how crazy everything is just from the perspective of someone who is semi-normal and by that I mean someone who still decides to dress up in a rabbit suit and uh, <laughs> fly, fly, jump off rooftops and things like that but it, it's all relative I suppose and you know it almost reminds me of the dynamic between like Don Quixote and his squire you know you've got this uh, this insane crusader type and then the guy's like dude maybe that's not a great idea right now you know, <laughs> the voice of reason if yeah, you will yeah yeah, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned that because I'm sure that plenty of people have made that connection, and uh, I guess we'll bring this up uh, a little bit later, but I'm working on a series called Honcho, 
uh, right now, which is uh, which which takes a lot from Don Quixote, and we're starting to work on that series. I started to think about the Tick, and I'm thinking the Tick is basically Don Quixote and Sancho Panza. <laughs> you know, and, and it's not just that, but like how they look too. I mean, the Tick is basically how Don Quixote would look at himself, and 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 Arthur is that kind of pudgy. Uh, ineffectual sidekick uh, who always kind of bears the brunt of uh, of the tick or Don Quixote's bad decisions. So th- there's a lot of comparisons there, and and it, I, I'm kind of ashamed that it took me, geez, even a, a couple of years into writing the the characters to uh, to to make that connection. Well, you write it well, my friend. We were uh, we got to read the free comic book day uh, tick that you had done, and uh, you just you nail it right on the head. Mm-hmm. I mean, the feeling of the tick and and Arthur. I mean, they both just come through full force. I think and oh, yeah. it's something that's hard to define. You know that essential tickness, but you know it when you read it. You <laughs> know, it, it, yeah, I love really. that adjective. That's it. Too. <laughs> the characters have a, have a dynamic um that uh, is really important I, I think to any of the stories that are told where you could tell it you could tell a tick story with just the tick you could tell an arthur story with just him but the characters really shine when they when they work together i think uh which which issue did you grab you mentioned the free comic book day issue which year is that is that the most recent one the most recent where you have the uh, all the ticks from the different universes all uh, piling into the same into what uh the universe we know the tick to be in okay yeah i'm, I'm still hoping to to, to flesh that out a bit, uh, so maybe we'll see more more of some of that. Cannot wait. I've I've got I've got a duo. This, okay. I don't know if this fits the classic hero sidekick, but uh, Pinky and the Brain. Oh, Dude, I didn't even think right. about yeah. Because I was thinking about that, and I'm like, oh, Pinky's not that. And then I'm like, wait a minute, Pinky always salvages the plan. The brain's the one who creates some grandiose. You know, he's got like a weapon or a plot or something. It always goes south, and Pinky's the one that keeps him from getting destroyed right so who's the sidekick hmm never thought of that in the well yeah because in the end it never ends up it never ends that in the according end. Yeah. to brain's plan and pinky always <laughs> does something really simple to fix this yeah <laughs> pulls him out of the fire or something you know yeah that takes a lot of its cues from like fractured fairy tales and the rocky and bullwinkle uh cartoon series i think from from the 60s where he had even like uh, Peabody and Mr. Sherman, oh, yeah. or maybe I'm mixing those. Yeah. Together. You have one character who is kind of works in the background and does all that. So uh, yeah, P- Pinky in the Brain is is uh, is a great choice. I would have definitely probably first instinct put Pinky on the worst, but you're right. right. I, he it's, definitely plays his. If one. anything, Brain's the sidekick. Right. <laughs> I would just put him in the worst because yeah. he's so much fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, on Inspector Gadget, where you have Penny, and oh, then you have yeah. uh, that's also right? I mean, it's also Brain. Uh, yeah, He's where uh, well, one is always more. yeah, where they're kind of both sidekicks, but they're always kind of uh, making sure that Inspector Gadget doesn't get himself killed. Right, <laughs> almost like um, the the little kid and the chimp in Speed Racer, right? Always oh, hiding man. in the trunk of the car. So it's like a trope. It, it must be. Yeah, if we looked it up right now, I bet there's a name for it. Some German word with like you know twelve consonants and six syllables. <laughs> super specific. Okay, a couple sidekicks that come to mind that uh, make me think you know their lead would be you know not helpless, but they definitely wouldn't make it as far as they have uh, without them. Would be a Groot and Chewbacca. Rocket, he's got he's got brains. He knows uh, what to do, but you know when it comes to brawn, 
he needs yeah, that he needs, yeah, physically that. imposing element and as a method of transportation because he's just got the little legs. Yeah. He's got the tiny I mean, legs. a raccoon can so easily be kicked across right. the room. You he know? can ride around on a 12-foot sentient tree. I mean, he's going to say no to that. About sidekicks helping uh, their hero, Cortana. Mm. Ooh. Master Chief wouldn't have gotten halfway, pretty much anywhere without her. Master Chief you know? is a pair of hands that holds guns. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, he's not figuring things. He improvises, sure, but only insofar as it destroys something. She's I guess the in one way, looking big picture. Master Chief could be a sidekick. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, he's right. the weapon. She's, yeah. yeah. The brains and the brawn. You want to talk <laughs> about people who would be defenseless without their sidekicks? Let's talk Morty Smith. Oh. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> he needs his special stupidity brain waves to counteract his genius waves. No, He'd know, be hunted right? down. Yeah, yeah this is yeah. true. Now, what about uh, what about Spock? Now he's Ooh. he's a sight. I don't know. Uh, him and Kirk together, they're they are they're really more of one a duo. More, yeah, yeah, like, but still, I think it works for the discussion that either one would be in trouble without the other. I think just yeah. in this instance, they complement each other so well. Yeah, Kirk... Re- between the two of them, there's a whole complete person. There, right. Well, yeah, Kirk representing the the human element, you know, and voice of... Uh, the voice of... Uh, what am I saying? Uh, I get not so much reason, but... Uh, he's He takes risks, you know, he's courageous. He, he'll yeah, where Spock you. sometimes has to, it's you like, know... Let's slow, let's slow down a little right. bit. Right. Throw the logic in there where this. Kirk's all gut... Yeah. Right, and it, and it goes the other way too. You know, it doesn't have to always be a mathematical equation, mathematically sound. You right, know, right? I don't know. Do you that, know what I'm saying? Yeah, Am I making like sense the, here? The head and the heart. You know. There you go. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? Uh, I picked out a few, uh, and I went not not super obscure because I stuck with uh, mainstream comics, but uh, maybe ones that we didn't think about. Um, I, I thought about the the Punisher and Microchip. Ooh. Uh, Nice. So, 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 microchip is is definitely a uh, product of his time. I mean, uh, so I, I think he showed up in around like the late '80s or early '90s, and I think that if uh, you know he was a character from the '60s, they would have named him like Computer Man or something. Because <laughs> uh, I, I think microchip was kind of like a, a, a popular buzzword for for computers for, for people who didn't necessarily know a lot about computers at the time. But uh, uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that uh, I mean, the Punisher has this kind of you know, one-man war on 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 crime or or whatever he calls it. Uh, he probably doesn't have a lot of time to do other things than uh, sleep, eat, and uh, go shoot people. So uh, having some microchip, yeah, where he he knows he, he knows you know where people are going to be. He can point Frank to those locations. He can tell him about the latest weapons or uh, what what's going to be the best for a certain situation. I think that. Uh, that's maybe something that's overlooked a lot. I, I, I think they ended up turning microchip bad eventually, uh, because I guess that's that's what happens. But uh, <laughs> I, I think of him in his in his purest, uh, and and I'm saying this as someone who's read probably a total of four Punisher comics in his life. Uh, I, I just kind of like that that idea where there's there there's in this case there's a reason to have you know the the brainy guy. Uh, hiding in a van uh, somewhere with uh, with this technology and his his weapons cache um, to to kind of back uh, to back up old Frank and help him do what he does. Yeah, Makes I never would have never thought of microchip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, good pick. Good uh, pick. I, yeah, I, I picked a second one out. Um, Christoph Bernard. Uh, so he's uh, basically Doctor Doom's backup. <laughs> oh, I don't know this and, person. Yeah, 
So uh, this is a, a burn creation from the 80s. Uh, basically, Dr. Doom adopted a kid and then proceeded to brainwash him. Um, cool guy. Into, uh, <laughs> yeah, way to go. Uh, and basically taking his place if something ever happened to him. Uh, so so he uh, ended up being Dr. Doom for a little while. Uh, but I think it's, it's just uh, fairly sinister and, I don't know, pretty cool of Dr. Doom to just kind of pal around with a kid and then uh, twist him and warp him into his own vision of himself and call him up from the reserves if he needs a if he needs a helping hand so that's an interesting uh, Christoph, like, really Christoph's like an interesting plan you'd think he would just clone himself or build a robot that looks like him or right. something but no he's putting the work in I respect that I don't even think that he, there would be easy. a reason why he would have to pass it off yeah, Dr. Doom right. he just you know I'm not going anywhere right Dr. Doom was one of those characters that I just uh one of the relatable villains, I guess. I mean, you can understand sometimes, you know, his objectives, just his ways of going about them, you know. I, I think that uh, Doctor Doom probably uh, would would do a decent job of running the world. I mean, uh, you know, they're always trying, they're always trying to keep him from doing that. But you know, let's see what he would do. Give it a shot. How bad could it be? For God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe if everyone just turned around for a second and let him, you know, fix whatever election or conquer whatever nation. He'd be done with it in a couple of years, you know. <laughs> he's all isolated on his, you know, in Latveria. He's always oppressed. He's got that mentality now. Oh, it's me versus them. If we just let him have the world for a little while, maybe he'll cool his jets, retire to an does. island in Polynesia. Well, it's yeah. kind of the way it is now with uh, Marvel's Battle World. I mean, he controls oh, yeah, everything and. The little bit I've read into it, mainly in the Old Man Logan series, most everyone within the world, you know, respects him. Finally got his way. Yeah, he's wearing all white now, and uh, he looks cool. It'll eventually implode, as it always does. <laughs> but uh, See, guys, isn't this better? What have I been telling you? How about uh, Kato and the Green Hornet? I was just oh, thinking of him, nice. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the pretty much... The, the doer out of the two, right? Yeah. He was the muscle and... Green Hornet was the detective. And yeah, Kato yeah. was definitely the, the muscle. I mean, Bruce Lee, come yeah. on. What kind of best muscle to have at your side, I think. It's like highest tier badass. Oh, know? absolutely. One of the originals. How about some of the worst? I got to, like some of the super pets, Crypto, Ace, the Bat <laughs> Dog. How about uh, Gleek from the Wonder Twins? The monkey. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the name says it all yeah. with that one. I'm going to say I don't mind Ace the Bat Hound just because I feel uh, I feel nice for Bruce that he gets to hang around with uh, with someone. Um, it, it's kind of odd that Batman is such a loner and yet he uh, associates associates himself with animals and kids and uh, clowns apparently and I don't know all these uh, <laughs> wonderful friendly characters I don't want to go out uh, on here I think Bruce Wayne might have some psychological issues he's working through <laughs> quite possibly <laughs> I, we, I mentioned this on the show before how you know Bruce Wayne as intelligent as and as flawless as his uh, psyche seems sometimes the fact that he brings a 10 year old boy into battle I mean <laughs> it shows a little bit of weakness there I think but uh, I've always liked I think Ace on, uh, on the Batman Beyond cartoon was very well done oh, uh, yeah. understated um, just showed up kind of uh, when he needed to but uh, but I, I enjoyed that little nod to, to history uh, at least in that sense uh, maybe, maybe we don't need a bat cow even though there actually is one uh, yeah they did away with that some I, I, of the old pictures of Ace I have seen he's definitely got the cow but uh, <laughs> I, I just read uh, Batman and Robin The Search for Robin which is a great book but uh, Ace makes an appearance in there and I, I think he uh, definitely held his end I think he makes a good sidekick 
in the absence of Robin, anyway, you know. What about Jar Jar Binks? Oh, mm. kind of call him a sidekick. He's he's approaching that. I think <laughs> I don't know. As far as I'm concerned, he's still a Sith mastermind, though. Yeah, yeah. that that what that's what uh, makes me accept Jar Jar Binks, <laughs> knowing that. Uh, is that fan theory or is it's that... a fan theory, yeah. but it's like a necessity. Yeah. Like if you don't acknowledge this, then you're gonna regret ever having it. Can you imagine had they actually wrote that into the story and episode three comes along and you see this bumbling dumbass all of a sudden turn into this well organized Sith Ice Lord. Dogs retract like skull shifts, he's got fangs and <laughs> loses the that stupid uh, vocabulary yeah. and starts talking, you know. You, they get a standing ovation from me. Oh, like, oh you gutsy sons of bitches, you did it. <laughs> yeah. God bless you. For sure. How about Luigi? Oh, poor Luigi. <laughs> that would be a worst. I he's, think he's, he's pretty bumbling, I think. I mean, yeah. he, he holds his in, I think. He's that uh, tall, but... lanky, he's the butt of everyone's joke. You know, I, <laughs> I saw <laughs> yeah. a little comic someone made once where it's Mario and Luigi visiting their mom for dinner. And the mom's like, oh, look, it's the Mario Brothers. And Luigi's like, Mama, how come you never remember my name? <laughs> and then she puts her she puts her hand on his shoulder. She's like, I'm a sorry, Green Mario. <laughs> green Mario. <laughs> Mario, uh, Super Mario Brothers 2. I, he was just the character you never wanted to play with. He was yeah. just, it's like walking on ice all the time. Right. He just his Peach flipping legs. Peach could fly, and, Toad yeah. could dig like a machine. Mario was a good all-rounder. Luigi, you know, because you had four other siblings and they called all the other characters first. Peach was the character to have in oh that my game. God, yeah. It's yeah, like I, easy mode. Yeah, I never played with any other character other than Peach. She was too easy to use. Was Yoshi? Did you get Yoshi or was he No, playable? that was okay. three. Right, yeah, because yeah. you're right. No, that around. was uh, Super Mario World that he came along. The first game for Super Nintendo. He oh, wasn't in three. Was three. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Three is the weird one. It's like a play. Everything's like bolted. To yeah, the yeah, yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. That got off topic. <laughs> Luigi sucks. That's the <laughs> Take it down in notes. Snarf. Snarf. <laughs> Enough said. Snarf, snarf. He brought nothing to the team except making everyone uncomfortable with his mix of human and animal and fairy traits. What is he? What's a, what's a snarf? Uh, snarf and annoying is I what I... I would have to assume he's the last of his species. Come on, he's this fat, bumbling, furry thing. Like, the ideal target for any cat-type creature coming from a planet where everyone is a hyper-intelligent cat person. They must have felt sorry for him. He's like the last surviving <laughs> snarf. When they rebooted that series I, on Cartoon I, I Network... I keep him around as a joke. That's got to be it. The Comic t- relief, yeah. yeah. I, I, I kind of feel like maybe he's like an underclass uh, on that planet, and uh, it's actually a really cruel uh, uh, thing that they're trying to pull, where it's uh, <laughs> almost no almost bordering on racism. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <when it> comes <laughs> to, like, the Thundercat Empire is built on the corpses of 100,000 snarfs. It's back on their planet, <laughs> subjugated. Just I, I think every, pity. every day, every day they go back to the headquarters and they threaten to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> Better get your shit together, Snarf. Just keep in his place. Just know that each mission could be your last, Snarf. Tomorrow I'll kill you. So you know. How about uh, Launchpad McQuack? I use a D sidekick as far as I'm. He was an idiot, but he again he held his weight in the end. But he yeah he, he tough. had he had some right. dumbass ideas. Well, he never like posed himself as the muscle. He just uh, no, but he was kind of like imposing. Am, am I just misremembering Launchpad McQuack? Maybe I think I am too. 
he uh, I, I watched some DuckTales recently And just some of the stuff he said I was like, man, I don't remember this dude being such a dumbass But uh, Maybe when you're younger it doesn't register so much You're just like, oh, that's funny you're not What like, else was he on? Darkwing yeah. Duck Okay, he was not Darkwing mm-hmm. What am I thinking? I don't know I, I'm not remembering him right, I guess I've, I've got a few lined up if you're ready for them oh, yeah. If you can handle it Well, I, I can handle <laughs> it, bring it like on a challenge, sir uh, f- first, you can tell me if you remember uh, Eddie from the Green Lantern series from the 70s. No. I do not know that one. So uh, this is definitely one to look up, um, and he only showed up for uh, a handful of issues. Um, and then they supposedly killed him, but then they <laughs> then they uh, walked that back a little bit just because he was a little cute uh, thing. But he's basically <laughs> like a slug or a, slug or a starfish uh, creature. Uh, that hung around and, and uh, hopped on to Hal Jordan's shoulder and just kind of went on adventures with him. Um, and it was just just really weird looking, almost like a starfish, but but uh, alien enough. And it wouldn't really talk, it would just vibrate. Um, <laughs> like, it agreed with what Hal was doing, it just kind of shimmy around and uh, Hal didn't really know what to do with it. And uh, then eventually they killed it. So um, it was, it's, it's a very, it, it's, an obscure uh, sidekick character. It didn't really have a point. I, th- I think the point of it was to show that Hal was a uh, universal traveler, you know, that he went around all these different uh, planets and cultures and saw these different things, and one day he just decided to steal one and, and take it with him. Look what I got. Yeah, I don't know what it does. Now, now correct me if I'm wrong. Did you just say he uh, Hal eventually didn't know what to do with it, so he killed it? Well, Hal, Hal didn't kill it. Uh, oh. he, thought that it he thought that it died, and I think... Uh, people didn't really enjoy the fact that they killed like the pet character, um, and, and I don't know if he was supposed to be like a crypto type character or something like that. But um, he, he really was uh, treated as, as like a pet, kind of like a um, just an interesting uh, addition to the to the cast. But uh, when it when it got killed, they eventually walked it back and said, "Oh no, he just kind of like changed into his next form, where he's not the starfish anymore. He's this other like higher." Higher being of some sort. Uh, so, 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 Itty, uh, definitely look that one up if you if you have a chance. Uh, oh, will be. Sounds like he just there, brings nothing to the table. Yeah. <laughs> I'll consult my vibrating starfish to see if this is the correct course of action. That lasted for a few issues, I, I think, in the in the late seventies, back when Hal had these really big sideburns. Uh, <laughs> you got to be pretty confident to pull off that look. I respect. Yes. Like Superman also, pulling off the mullet, yeah, yeah. balls of steel. <laughs> I also want to uh, to point out Herbie, uh, the Fantastic, Fantastic Four. I was yes. going to mention him. He's not not necessarily a sidekick. Just the, the question is like, what is he doing, and, and like, what's the, the purpose of this? And there's a there, there's a lot of theories about you know why uh, he showed up on the cartoon first, and he was really one of the first. Uh, and Marvel, uh, in the Marvel universe, anyway, really one of the first crossovers with uh, with, with some of their adaptations. I mean, Superman has, has, had been doing that since like the '40s, but the Herbie, you know, was an early character in the one of the Fantastic Four cartoons, and uh, they replaced him with the Human Torch. And and the the the, the fun theory about that is that uh, the the network executives did want kids to set themselves on fire, so they. Mm, I had heard about that, yeah. I don't think that's actually true, but it's it's more fun than the actual uh, reason for that. Uh, so we're just gonna, I'm just going to go with it. Well, what was it like? Uh, they couldn't get the rights to the Human Torch or something like that. 
I don't really understand why this would have made a difference, but they were they were looking into having a Human Torch cartoon, um, like a solo cartoon. Um, and I don't know if it's they didn't want to water it down, so to speak, or or, or if if another production company was looking to to work with that. But they were looking to adapt uh, the Human Torch uh, as kind of a solo property. Um, why, you know, it, it would seem to me like well, having him. In the Fantastic Four cartoon would be a great advertisement for that uh, for that cartoon that would yeah, no up, uh, half an hour later, you know. But uh, uh, but but that never uh, materialized. Instead, we got uh, Fred and Barney meet the Thing, <laughs> <laughs> which is which is one of the most bizarre kind of adaptations out there. And and, and even and I know I'm getting off off topic, but I don't care. Uh, it's That's not my point. Show. Fred and Barney like the Flintstones never interacted with the thing it was just like this was like a, uh, an hour long program and half of it was devoted to the Flintstones and half of it was devoted to the thing but still just a very strange adaptation because the thing was a teenager like the Fantastic Four weren't around like they, they never referenced them he had the, the thing rings that he would uh, uh, clink together uh, to and, and all these rocks would fly in from who knows where and uh, he, would form, he would form the thing and then he would perform like Herculean tasks, and, and then go back uh, to being Benji, Benji Grimm, uh, the the lovable teenager. I bet he would have uh, liked that, that if that was like the official backstory. Oh yeah, it's like oh, I can be human rather than being uh, it being a curse on him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. I'm tired of being a hideous abomination today. I guess <laughs> I'll just switch gears. It's kind of the way they uh, made uh, Beast in the newer X-Men movies. Oh, how yeah, he can just yeah. kind of turn it on and off. Yeah, you know? Beast has always been like one of my favorite X-Men. Like yeah. specifically because he's so odd, I just love these like this big blue monster. It's like when I was a kid, I was like, "Oh, that's Beast! Hell yeah!" You know, yeah. it wasn't until I was older I was like, "It's a weird combination of traits they threw in for this." Just character. hanging upside down yeah, doing science. Yeah. By the way, Kelsey Grammer is Beast. As oh, much as yeah. those movies yeah. kind of, nah, that's like an inspired he was good, casting though. choice. Yeah, he was great. It's it's interesting that in the '60s they thought uh, we're going to make a, a group of, of mutants and they're going to be just ostracized. And uh, one of the characters is going to be the Beast, and his thing is he's got big hands. And like, <laughs> and people are like, whoa, you know, it, it, it's kind of like uh, you know, people executives saying, you know, you can't have Spider-Man. People don't like spiders, or you can't have Superman. It's too unbelievable. You can't like the Beast. Like, what's what's his uh, what's his signature going to be? Like he hangs on things. He's got big feet. He can't wear shoes. <laughs> it's, it's a real issue for him. Super special power. Like, wow, well, people are really gonna uh, flock to this character. He's a real, <laughs> he's a real relatable underdog. You know, there's a kid out there that had gigantism when they when the uh, Fantastic Four for or excuse me, X Men first launched that he related to him. I can. And, then, and then they give him fur, and he's like, "Too far, guys." <laughs> <laughs> what have you done? Do it. Uh, what about Bebop and Rocksteady? Talk about oh, some sidekicks to the Shredder that I never quite understood. I mean, the initial concept, like, okay, fight fire with fire. I'm going to get some own, of my own mutants to fight these mutants. But after failure, after failure, <laughs> after failure, just keeps relying on them with these big, important tasks. I don't get it. I guess the Shredder's more flawed in that aspect than Bebop and Rocksteady <laughs> actually were. <laughs> I'm going to get these two idiots to do everything for right. me. Really, uh, really perfect for the cartoon, though. I mean, obviously, oh, they yeah. were just kind of kind of molded in, into that um, as it came out. And, I mean, you had these two characters who just looked awesome. And they still look good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, really yeah. love, I really love the design. But they were, you know, ineffective. They were kind of the... I mean, 
it, it, it must have been difficult for the uh, for, for the people who made the cartoon to really put the shredder in it in an effective way because here's a guy who's wearing knives all over his body. <laughs> this is true. I never his thought name about may that. as well be violence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If he punches you, you're getting stabbed. I mean, that, that's part of the, the deal. And here's a ninja, you know, and it, it's got to be difficult enough when, when your four main characters have, have weapons uh, of violence, you know, of, of not just violence, but like one is like a katana blade, you know, how can... So I mean, they they worked around that. All the foot soldiers are, are robots and stuff like that. But but how do you how do you take a really dark character like the Shredder um, and make him work as a villain? Well, you give him two kind of bumbling sidekicks. Uh, this is true. I don't know. It's all about balance, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Shredder really doesn't do anything except give orders and fail all the time. Well, all three of those characters have come a long way. Oh, I mean, yeah. going back to their original roots. Um, Though I don't know, was Bebop and Rocksteady originally made for the cartoon and then brought into the comics? I, yeah. I think. I so. But uh, they're actually in the comics now. They're a force to be reckoned with. I mean, you don't Pretty mess with formidable. Bebop and Rocksteady. Yeah. yeah, they're like what three times the height of the turtles now, and <laughs> which they should be. I mean, a rhinoceros. Come on. They're they're tanks. You know. Yeah. They're the yeah. frontliners. Warhogs aren't that big though. All right, Jax. What did you see? <laughs> what did you see? <laughs> I got one. This is this is a personal favorite of mine. Igor. Ooh. Or is it Igor? Frankenstein. I, either one's fine. <laughs> Why need, is that? Well, you need someone to rob graves and throw big <laughs> scary switches and prepare concoctions. You know, it's, yeah. it's not something a high-minded scientist can dirty his hands doing. He's, He's above that. Picture. Yeah. yeah. Who's the so brain that said that? Yeah. <laughs> you need that guy. You need that subservient. Thank you, master. You know, just, <laughs> you've got to have that element if you're an evil scientist. Eeyore, he's perfect. <laughs> I always thought of you like candy Sam- eagle. Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway, this is going to be my last episode, you guys. Oh shit! I'm sorry, Jeff. Didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I'm just saying you gotta you gotta have someone to get his hands dirty, Absolutely. and uh, or was the was the guy to do that. So I mean, he he kind of fit that mold, you know. Where he was it was a thankless job, but uh, apparently there's not a lot out there if you're a uh, depraved hunchback. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's take what you can get, easy. right? <laughs> Igor was essentially a shovel that spoke at times. You know, he was just an implement of doing things that were beneath Frankenstein's station. You think he got paid? I mean, how, how does I it, think how he was not actively murdered? That was probably all he needed at the time. Just a companionship that was his payment, <laughs> oh, right? Someone's talking to me. Oh, that's kind of <clears> sad. Now you're making me look at it like he's a human being and not a little weird impish. So what else is a guy going to do? Go sit in a uh, clock, a uh, bell tower, and just look down and wish he could be that like the rest. For Ring some bells for a little bit, yeah. right? For a little bit, I mean, but he, eventually he great. had to come down too. I mean. Not a lot of opportunities for advancement up in that bell tower. <laughs> just come keeps down, ringing that bell sometimes. day after day, like <laughs> climbing that ladder. <laughs> I'm doing. I'm living a dream, and that's what's important. Any other sidekicks, guys? That's all I got. No. <laughs> tap tap. By you, Jeff. Uh, you've you've run through my list, but I, it was a good list. <laughs> yeah, I think we did pretty good. That was I a think so. fun retro roundtable. All right, well, with that behind us, let's take a dive into the comic dump bin. Who would like to go first this week? I think you went first, I went last, first last week. Time. Jack, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. This one was a pretty quick quick read because it was full of articles from the upcoming free comic book day. And basically, with Future's End, there's this machine called Brother Eye that has been taken over the world. He was created kind of like a Skynet type thing, apparently. Okay. 
and he's been taking out all the heroes and turning they basically assimilate them into these spider morbid looking spider monsters and basically the whole comic that the you're just seeing the heroes getting taken over by him at the very end it cuts over to uh terry mcgillen that's mcginnis mcginnis that's right and bruce and they're in the bat cave and bruce is getting suited up and they're trying to go back in time to fix everything just before they get ready to go they get attacked and bruce gets his arm cut off he gets gouged he's pretty much dying is this old man bruce yeah okay yeah and uh he tells terry all right you got to go and do this for me but it was pretty cool at the end because just as he's dying he's like you got to go in the future and fix this and when you do don't come looking for me and he's like well why he's like for one i won't believe you and two i'll stop you Oh, man. Yeah. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> so at the end, Terry ends up going into the past and finds out that he only went five years into the past. And, like, the motion has been started already. It was crazy. It was a quick read. It was cool, though. Makes you want to get more, mm, as yeah, they're supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like that's what they intended. It's crazy. Well, very cool. It was uh, it was strange to me that they went back to that concept so quickly. Just because if, if you remember the, the, the Series 52... Which uh, which I thought was, was might might be like the pinnacle of storytelling for DC was just a fantastic uh, weekly series. Um, the brother I and and those characters uh, played a played a big role in there. And oh, so brother I comes from the Omax series that was originally like a Jack Kirby creation. So we're talking you know decades in the past, but uh, they, they kind of retrofitted it to to be this uh, almost like Terminator style Skynet type of intelligence. And uh, I don't know if you remember 52, I remember it pretty fondly. And then everything that kind of came after that was just them trying to recapture it. And uh, this was this was kind of a little bit more of the same for me. So I, I think the concept was nice. But how many, you know, apocalyptic storylines can we get into? Uh, <laughs> where, where, oh, no, you know, Superman and, and Wonder Woman have been uh, corrupted. And, you know, they're uh, all, all these heroes uh, are are now evil and have been, been you know, turned against their will, and we just have to have one hero go back and save them. I mean, I wonder how it turns out. I wonder who's going to win. Uh, Possibly, is it going to be the good guys? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, it, it was it was a nice it was a nice uh, concept. The, the issue that you're speaking of, and I think it was well done, and it led into I think Batman Eternal or, or uh, uh, some other some other series uh, that that kind of sprung from there. But I just wondered why they decided to go back to the well so quickly, especially after they took all those painstaking uh, turns to, uh, to to reboot the universe and, and to do different things. And then they decided, hey, you know, it worked the last time around. Let's, let's do it again. So uh, that's that's kind of my perspective. And I don't mean to rain on anyone's parade. But, uh, <laughs> we need some more money. Let's go back and do this again. Right. Yeah. Oh, I like that reboot much better than the Marvel's whole Battle World thing. It's mm. just uh, still has it leaves a bad taste. In I my still mouth. haven't read that whole series. I still I got it sitting there. Battle World's like fan fiction. You know, it's uh, I just don't understand it. Like, let's mix all these realities into one uh, one existent plane. I don't know. I don't get it. But anyway, very cool. Jeff, would you like to go next? Yeah, I can do that. Uh, so maybe this takes a little bit of explaining, but uh, I picked out uh, uh, the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror number 13. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Boy, you're talking my language now. <laughs> so Bongo Comics uh, has the it, it's kind of an offshoot of uh 
not necessarily Fox, but at least uh, a lot of the a lot of Grang's properties. Uh, so right. they, they published the Simpsons and uh, the Futurama comic and, and a few others. Uh, and every year, and they've been doing this uh, almost since they launched. They have a uh, one issue of the Trials of Horror, and it takes on the, the same themes and the same concepts as as the cartoon does. Um, so it, it ties into that. But what I really like about this series is that uh, they really get some big names uh, to to really go wild, and they really don't seem to have a lot of uh, they don't really hold them back when it comes to this particular series. So it started out pretty tame uh where it was mostly just the the bullpen uh telling telling their own stories uh but then uh i think with with about issue seven or eight uh they started bringing in a lot of just interesting creators uh both with within comics and and uh and other forms of entertainment to just tell really crazy stories that they that they probably wouldn't even uh be able to tell in the cartoon um so this particular issue comes from 2007 um, and it features uh, uh, Jerry Dugan um, who uh, is currently writing Deadpool oh. uh, he uh, he writes a story uh, with Hillary Barta on art um, he writes a story called Nas which is just a, a total takeoff on Jaws but the, the whole thing is fantastic as people are getting just ripped limb from limb you know throughout the throughout the particular story so it's, it's just really crazy to see all these characters that you know and that you love in these different situations and uh getting mutilated uh as as it as it turns out um so it's just a really uh well done parody of uh of jaws and they also have stories from Patton oswalt uh wow. so, so he writes a story uh with jason ho doing the arts uh, and in this story someone finds kind of like 3d glasses that you would find in the back of a, a comic book ad um, but when you put these on, um, and I think it's Lenny actually, uh, who, who finds these and he, he sees that they are actually in a comic. So it kind of like breaks the fourth wall and, uh, he kind of loses his mind because he, all of these things, uh, are, are being revealed to him and the world isn't as it, as it seems. Um, and he can see, you know, the fact that he's a supporting character like that, you know, no one's, no one that he knows is really important except for Homer. Uh, which which totally goes against just his total worldview. Um, you have uh, there's a, another story by Tom Lennon, uh, so from the state and Reno 911 in that I called the, the pig in any writing. Hmm. Yeah, so uh, he, he has a story called the Pygmy Elixir. Uh, Ian Boothby, who who does uh, uh, he writes uh, a lot of Simpsons comics, so he's he's kind of the comic guy in here uh, with Pia Guerrera, or is it Guerra? So she. They're, they're they're married, uh, but she drew uh, Why the Last Man, um, so so she provides the art for this particular story. So it's just one of those things that I don't know is is kind of like uh, indicative of, of Mike psychoses, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I and I think that most uh, comic book fans kind of have some kind of variation of of this particular psychosis. But uh, when I find a particular issue and I like it, I think like oh now I got to get. Now I got to go back and I got to find every single one of these. Uh, so I, for for the past couple of years, I've been trying to hunt down these uh, different trios of horror issues, and they're not uh, they're not too easy to find. Uh, a lot of Bongo comics have have small print runs, so uh, uh, they they tend to be a little bit scarce and a little bit pricey when you when you're able to find them. But I've I've been able to to piece some of these together, and I've I've got most of them, and and I've been really impressed. Uh, 
a lot of like the regular Simpsons comics, uh, sometimes they can be pretty tame. They don't try a whole lot of new stuff, but uh, the Trios of Horror stuff is, is really great. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah, I'm, and I know they've collected a lot of these stories for people who aren't crazy like me and have to get the individual issues. But uh, this particular issue I thought was uh, was probably my favorite. So it just uh, four stories and they all kind of they all kind of hit. I've got myself. I, I talked about a Treehouse of Horror some time ago uh, on the Halloween show. or so ago, I think. Yeah, yeah, and when it, whether it's the comic or the TV show, it seems like the Simpsons always build up and give like some of the best material for the Treehouse of Horror. Like they just wait they all year long to do <laughs> the Treehouse of Horror. So those are great comic books, and uh, man, what a good choice! What a good choice! Um, some of the Simpson Bongo comics from the '90s, like especially the Bartman series, those were really good too. I don't remember who wrote them or anything, but man, I remember getting them week after week. I loved those. I don't know if you've read any of those or not. I, I recently picked up, uh, and again, who knows why, uh, the the entire series of the Radioactive Man series. Oh, um, nice. So they, they did a couple different series with, with that where they, I think they even launched the Bongo line with, with Radioactive Man number one. Um, that kind of came out the same month as Simpsons number one and, and Bartman number one. And it's one thing that, uh, it, it was very different because they played it straight where they wanted it to be or it seems that they wanted it to be this uh, kind of homage to comics from that era and w within the series. So the idea with Radioactive Man is it is a comic book in like the Simpsons universe. Right. So and it's been around since the 50s. So like they, they've had like a thousand issues of this book printed. So they jumped around to these different issues within this series. So like if. Uh, if issue 200 came out, when would it have come out? And then they did an issue that would have been like uh, a similar issue that was would have been published around that time. Uh, and then they, you know, then they went and published number 700. They did, they did a, a, a special for 7-Eleven. And so they published issue 7-Eleven, and I guess they had them available only uh, only in those stores. Uh, but, they, but they all took on, they all took on uh, different qualities of those different eras. It was really ambitious. Um, they didn't always work, uh, but I at least uh, can appreciate, you know, give it, giving that a shot and, and trying that out where you had, uh, you know, uh, one issue that was took place or would have been published in the 80s that kind of had a Watchmen feel to it or a, a Frank Miller uh, type art style to it. So they really they really did a lot of different things to it. So Bongo, Bongo did a lot of stuff uh, that. I didn't realize at first. Uh, I just kind of assumed that you know it was the the Simpsons, uh, the Simpsons comic, and they're all going to be like that. But uh, they did some they did some interesting things. They're for definitely sure. fun comics. That's for sure. Clear they knew their stuff. Yeah, I, Jeff picked up a number one, a Radioactive Man number one. I showed yeah, it right, to me yeah. at that first CincyCon we went to. And when I opened it and was looking through it, the first thing I was looking for was the same panel shown in that uh, episode of The Simpsons where. Uh, Bart, Milhouse, and Martin put all their money together to buy Radioactive Man number one. And there's that scene, like the origin scene, where he's like, Oh, my pants cut in barbed wire. Oh, an atom bomb. Arg! And, you know, like, <laughs> and they didn't do it exactly, but they did it pretty darn close to uh, what you saw in the episode. And I just love that, because like uh, Jeff's saying, just pulled straight out of the show, out of the universe, and in your hand there to read, so you can see what they were obsessing over. It was awesome. Good pick, good pick. All right. 
Alright, I'll go ahead and go next here. I have uh, been very, very excited ever since the uh, trailer for the Logan movie has been released. Um, I'm a big Hugh Jackman as Wolverine fan. I think he pulls it off. And yeah, there were a few of those movies where we were talking before the, the show. Bangs like, X3, three. he's got the bangs and the too much <laughs> hair happening. But um, <clears throat> as the movies progressed, the character has evolved and come into its own. And uh, we can see with the Logan movie coming out that X-23 is going to be making her appearance. So I don't know if, you know, they're just introducing her here. And after Hugh Jackman steps down, they're going to start making her movies. But I decided I wanted to find more out about this character. So at the library, I picked up this. It's almost as thick as the Bible right here. (laughs) uh, X-23, the complete collection. And I was I planned on you know reading on it throughout the week, but I sat down yesterday, opened it, and I did not get up until it was done. It was so much fun to read, and I uh, now love this character. So uh, I'm not going <laughs> to tell you all of it, or we'd be here all day. So it starts out, <laughs> but picture this. <laughs> but it starts out <laughs> with uh, you see a doctor uh, rushing around a lab. You you see alarms going off behind him. You hear people in the background screaming, and you hear it. You know, the, I don't know how they write out this sound effect of claws. Snicked, snicked. Yeah. But he's like, please don't let me die. Please don't let me die. Please don't let this be it. But he, you, know, you see him grab a vial of blood. And he starts running out of this lab into the snow. And as he's running, you see claws just come up through him, three of them. And he falls over dead, and there is Weapon X. Wolverine, you know, he's, he's made his escape from the lab. And mm. after this doctor's laying there dead, he runs off naked into the snow, as we know he did. A gentleman, a bald gentleman uh, by the name of Martin, then comes up out of a helicopter and says, you know, I'm sorry, you know, you had to pay the price. But he takes the vial from him and gets back in the chopper. And takes off. Well, he goes to tell the son of this Dr. Rice who's laying dead in the snow, uh, you know, your father has been killed. And they have a moment. They hug each other. Well, it shows many years later where Martin, who's obviously the head of this project, has taken this Xander Rice, which is the orphaned son of this killed doctor, under his wing. And he is now a scientist working under him who has been trying to come up with, you know, more Weapon X. But... After many failed attempts, they, they, they're kind of at a dead end. So they bring in a Dr. Sarah McKinney, or a scientist, rather, who uh, has groundbreaking work in such fields, yada, yada, and she's there to uh, you know, help the project along. <clears throat> in her research, you know, they, they want to replicate what they, what they had with uh, Wolverine. But uh, the blood sample that they had retrieved from the fallen doctor, they cannot, she cannot get the Y chromosome to stay intact. It keeps deteriorating and breaking up. And she's like, we're going to be here for centuries, you know, trying to master this, but we can't get it right. She goes, on the other hand, the X chromosome is intact. And they're like, we don't want a girl. We don't want a girl. We want a guy, you know? So (laughs) get in the lab, make this happen. You're here to make miracles. Go do it. So while she's continuing her work, trying to get the Y chromosome to work out, she secretly starts working with the X chromosome, making the, the female weapon X. By the time the embryo is ready, I guess, to start growth, she brings it to them, says, hey, you know, again, I told you I can't make the guy, but I've been secretly working on the girl and she's ready to go. And as mad as they are, they're like, "Okay, you know, if you if you've come this far, let's let's go with it. So they put it in her. She carries it. Sarah McKinney, she carries the baby herself and she becomes part of the experiment. 
and uh, then eventually has what is we come to know as X-23. And you see this little girl being raised pretty much just as an experiment and just in a room with nothing in it, just a little girl in a you know, lab robe in a room. And it's kind of sad, you know, to see her being raised, no real interaction with people. They're treating her as a as a weapon and not as a child. Kind of like Eleven. Yeah, very much so, yeah, actually. Sense. But uh, they're tra- giving her, a, they've given her a sensei to train her to fight. You know, the sensei wants to bond with her and form this relationship. They keep telling her, the sensei, you cannot bond this with this little girl. You know, she's not a girl, she's a weapon. And uh, as they're, they're tra- they want her to mature. They want her to hit puberty as quickly as they can because it isn't until she hits puberty that they can actually bond the adamantium, adamantium, how do you pronounce it? Adamantium. Adamantium, excuse me, to her skeleton. So this Xander, who turns out to be a real son of a bitch, (laughs) you know, exposes her to this high doses of radiation, which uh, initiates the puberty uh, in her and initiates puberty much earlier than it should. That's what they did to me. (laughs) Is, <laughs> this is what is I that right? like in the third grade. <laughs> wonder why you had a full beard in those uh, pictures when you were 10, yeah. yeah. I want to try out for football. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But anyway, so so Sarah McKinney, who, again, was the uh, scientist who you know brought the Y chromosome, brought the girl to be, is... Uh, been told to step back from the project. We've got all we need from you. You know, we've got our our living subject. We're training her now. You just need to uh, step back. Well, you know, maternal instinct kicks in, and she wants to be a part of this uh, little girl's life. So, you know, she'll be in her cell reading her books, and when the scientists are looking in, you know, it says the art of war, like they're like she's in there <laughs> teaching her to kill. But when you look. <laughs> When it, the, the perspective changes, she's actually like reading her Pinocchio and mm. child stories and stuff. During all this, now again, Martin, who was the head scientist who, who brought up Xander Rice, the, the orphaned uh, kid from the dead doctor, had, Xander has been having an affair. <laughs> this, is, this is like so soap opera-y. <laughs> having an affair with Martin's wife behind his back and uh, gets her pregnant. Again, you're seeing this all happen throughout the years, you know. And so the woman eventually has a little boy, which is named Henry, which Martin believes to be his, but is actually Xander's. You see, they they take X-23 out on all these field tests, like, just for fun, just for shits and giggles, just to see how she performs. They are going to send her to kill a politician who's running for presidential office. No one can get near. And they dress her up like this crippled little girl who's like, please, I just want to see, you know, see the, the candidate or whatever they would call him. The representative, or whatever, and so they bring him in for like a photo op, like the 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 candidate sitting there with this crippled little girl. But in the flash of a photo, she snaps, blades come out her feet and her hands, and just kills everyone in the room. Oh, and she again, got one on her feet too. Yeah, one in one in each of her feet and two in each of her hand. Hmm. It's just sick. She's she's a, an efficient killer, but she's still not performing up to the uh, the standards that Wolverine did. So they're very apprehensive whether to keep her or not. Xander talks Martin into signing the project over to him. You know, let me be in charge of this. You've been doing this too long. You know, let me take this from you. And he goes, okay, I will. Now you find out the reason why Xander does this is because that Martin's wife, which he impregnated and is carrying, you know, is now has Henry, which is Martin. Oh my God, this is such a tongue twister. <laughs> Getting so tied up here. Martin's wife is threatening Xander. He's, she's going to tell Martin that he's not the biological father. So he's decided, you know, now I'm going to get possession of X-23. And once he does, he's going to use X-23 to kill them all, to 
just to put him out of the picture to gain control of this weapon. And after he does so, X-23 goes in and kills Martin and kills the wife, but then doesn't kill Henry when he's supposed to, when she's supposed to. And it shows Sarah that there is some actual there's an actual soul in this little girl rather than just a mindless machine. So she decides I've got to get this little girl out of here and gives her one last mission. I need you to go in and kill everyone in the lab, kill all the other X projects they're working on, which is X24 through like X50 something. And uh, you know, then we're going to get out of here, hit the road, which she does. Except when she comes out, she sees her mother Sarah in a white lab coat, sees her as one of these people and kills her as well. Ooh. Yeah, and after kills her, finds all these, finds the Pinocchio book, finds a letter saying, I'm ac- your actual mother. And she's like, what have I done? I've killed my mother, you know. Man, I could sit here and go on and on. I even I have more listed to tell you about. <laughs> I'm just going to kind of stop it there. But this is a very endearing character. If you get, I highly recommend picking up X-23, the complete collection, to check out more about this character, especially if you're looking forward to Logan coming out, because damn, what a good read it was. And what, what little detail I gave you is just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> There's so much uh, good stuff in that book. So, X-23. It'd be hilarious if that girl isn't really nothing. She's just a little girl. <laughs> hilarious for who? <laughs> you? I'm going to be pissed off. Ha ha! <laughs> That was the last anyone ever saw of Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jake, what do you got? Well, I was reading some stuff this week with the intention of sharing it in this week's dump bin, but God, none of it just stuck with me enough. I just, there was nothing I enjoyed enough that I'm like, oh, let's share it with the world. So since it was kind of well-received last time, at least in this room, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got another entry from the SCP Foundation. And this one is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, this was the first entry um, made, which sparked the whole website and sort of crowdsourced storytelling element here. So this no one more is... more sleep for me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> this one is SCP-173, The Sculpture. Okay, here we go. Item number, 173, object class, hazardous. Special containment procedures. Item 173 is to be kept in a locked container at all times. When personnel must enter skipped 173's container, no fewer than three may enter at any time, and the door is to be relocked behind them. At all times, two persons must maintain direct eye contact with skip 173 until all personnel have vacated and relocked the container. Description. Moved to Site 19 in 1993, origin is as of yet unknown. It is constructed from concrete and rebar with traces of Krylon brand spray paint. 173 is animate and extremely hostile. The object cannot move while within a direct line of sight. Line of sight must not be broken at any time when handling 173. Personnel assigned to enter container are instructed to alert one another before blinking. Object is reported to attack by snapping the neck at the base of the skull or by extreme strangulation. In the event of an attack, personnel are to observe Class 4 hazardous object containment procedures. Personnel report sounds of scraping stone originating from within the container when no one is present. This is considered normal, and any change in this behavior must be reported immediately in case of containment failure. The reddish-brown substance which coats the floor of 173's containment facility is a combination of feces and blood, origin unknown. The enclosure must be cleaned on a bi-weekly basis. Ugh. Sounds loosely based on uh, the Weeping Angels from Doctor Who. Yeah, it's very Doctor Who-like with the not breaking eye contact. And the picture is horrific. I'm going to have to put it up on our Instagram, but I I hate the hell out of it. It's um, (laughs) it's by, uh, actually, there's notes here. 
the actual sculpture, the picture they took of the sculpture for this story is uh, an untitled piece made in 2004 by an artist named Izumi Kato. And it is thoroughly bizarre. Kind of like an Ugh. infant with a bulbous head. Oh, it's wretched. So there you go. Um, what the hell do you sleep at night? <laughs> oh, oh, I don't. <laughs> I just read this shit. <laughs> My God, that is messed up. I'll have an actual comic next week. But <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Very long-winded on my part. I apologize, but uh, very good uh, comic dump bin, nonetheless. Moving right along, let's move right into... Real World Heroes! Jack, who do we have this week? Sergeant James Yates. And what has Sergeant James Yates done to deserve a spot on our wall of justice? Well, this happened in 2014, I believe it was. Uh, He was a veteran from Afghanistan... And he was uh, going to be honored at an Iowa Barnstormers football game. I think it's a high school football team. Um, just as he was leaving one the day to go to the, the football game to get his medal, he was getting a Purple Heart. Uh, he heard someone scream. Next thing you know, kid comes running from about three doors down. Help, help. My mom just got crushed by a truck. Oh, my God. His mom was, work, I guess, working on the truck, and it the jack collapsed onto her. So he went into hero mode, ran over, got it. Didn't the, the article didn't go into how he helped, but he ended up getting her out from underneath it and then just straight disappeared into the night, I guess, pretty much. Went straight to the, the football game. Didn't say anything. She had no idea what his name was or anything. <laughs> wow, he just, came out of nowhere, <laughs> saved pulled the day, someone to then, safety, and then went to the football game. Yeah. You might know him by his alter ego. Batman. Yeah. <laughs> she only got some bruising on her chest and back, but was okay. But she ended up finding out who he was to give her, uh, to give him her gratitude for it. But mm-hmm. wow, swooped in hero style and dipped out just like I can't. Did. I can't miss the game, man. <laughs> Sounds oh like an OSU fan if yeah, I've ever yeah. heard of one, right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't James know. Would an OSU Yates. fan have helped anyone if it meant they might miss the game? No, no they would yeah. have been left bleeding, stuck, I need dead. Tailgate. Sorry, Ma. I got places to be. And for that, James Yates, you have found a spot on the wall of justice. In the Hall of Heroes. Keep it up. Keep your swooping in and on the way to football games up there. <laughs> wow. All right. Well, with all that behind us, let's just turn our full attention over to the very patient Jeff McClellan. <laughs> Thanks again for being with us, Jeff. What, where am I? I fell asleep. Oh, man. Right not in the because, heart. Uh, not because you guys aren't anything but, but scintillating. Um, I was actually eating a sandwich is what, what was happening. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you again for being with us this week. But uh, And uh, we're just really excited to talk about uh, everything you have under your belt. So uh, let's just start with The Tick, man. How did you come to write The Tick series? Uh, I mean, all I'm saying is there are some photos that I have that are locked away. That, uh, that that certain parties uh, found out about. Um, really, it, it was it was just a matter of luck and and, and being in the right place and and uh, honestly just uh, just just seeing what uh, what was out there. Um, and I know this is this is kind of a, a cliche, uh, especially among uh, comic creators. But uh, a big part of uh, getting stuff done is actually just being there uh, and, and showing up. And maybe that's maybe that's life lessons from from myself. And that's probably the last positive thing that I'll, I'll have to say. Or positive advice that I'll have to give, but uh, but no, it, it was just a matter of uh, you know the the book. Uh, there hadn't been uh, a lot of movement with the book for a while, so I, I, I got in contact with them and I had done uh, 
a few uh, sample stories that I had, uh, had been lucky enough to, to have some friends draw. So they, they had no idea who I was or, or that, that I was working on this, but I sent some of those things to them and said, hey, uh, I, I uh, really like the character, really like the concept, and I, I work really cheap. And they said, that sounds good to us. <laughs> so, uh, so, so the first thing I was able to do was uh, uh, the Free Comic Book Day special in 2013. Um, and uh, every year we've done uh, one of those, and uh, we've, we've managed to do a little bit more uh, as, as the years have gone by with uh, some, some Comic-Con specials and uh, uh, just coming up in, uh, in a couple weeks uh, for local comic shop day. We've got a new issue coming out. So, wow, I, I just plugged myself. That was, uh, it felt good. I don't know. I liked it. What else anyway, am I guys, doing? I have uh, to go now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I've been able to work on that for a little while, and it's been, uh, you know, it, it, it's just been exciting just because I grew up, uh, and probably uh, maybe you've, you've uh, have, have similar stories, but I was introduced to the character uh, with the cartoon. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, that kind of warped me from a, from a young age. And uh, <laughs> then, then I found out there were actually comics, you know, uh, that, that this was based on. So I, I you know, dove into those as well and really just, just fell in love with the, the character and the concept never, and never really thought that I would have anything to do with it and uh, and now here I am ruining it um, oh uh, come on I'll, I'll myself. <laughs> don't beat yourself so, up uh, these are good books well I, I appreciate that uh, uh, mom is that you <laughs> um, so so I, I got into it just just kind of uh, out of out of a lot of luck and and, uh, and good timing I suppose and uh, and hopefully now with the uh, with the Amazon show that's uh, picking up steam and it's gonna uh, it'll be back uh, next year. Uh, we're, we're planning on doing some more things for the character too. So have you ever got to speak yeah. with uh, Ben Edlund at all about the character? Like, does he give you any input on uh, what you've done with the character? Ben's a great guy. Um, he uh, he has embraced his uh, his newfound fame in Hollywood and uh, and good for him. He's a he's a really talented guy. Uh, so he is someone that I'm that I'm able to kind of hang out with or, or latch onto for a little bit uh, during Comic-Con every year uh, out in San Diego uh, where they have a, a New England Comics who, who publishes the book has, has a presence there and uh, uh, Ben stops by and we're able to chat for a while so I, I, I get the impression that you know he uh, is, is comfortable uh, with where the com- where the comics are uh, you know he's, he's still listed as uh, uh, he, he still gets a, a credit in the book and everything and, and certainly uh, he's a creator and everything um, I, I get the feeling that he might flip through the book one, once once it comes out and says, uh, "Yeah, they didn't ruin it. Uh, you know, good job." So uh, he's he's certainly doing his own thing, and you know, we do talk about the the, the tick and some of the many questions I have. Uh, just kind of like sitting at uh, it, it's almost like a fireside scene where I just I sit at his feet and I ask him questions and uh, <laughs> and he humors me. Uh, but yeah, so so Ben's a, a really nice guy and uh, he's uh, you know really talented and he's he's uh, reaping some of those rewards now and and he's really involved with the, the character. So he's you know obviously he still loves it uh, as a concept um, and uh, and the Amazon show I think uh, which is brilliant. Which we'll talk about at some point, but. Uh, you know, he's he's still got uh, he he's still involved with uh, with the character in that way. That's so cool. I the, just the uh, the origin of the character is so cool. I think. I mean, he was just made as a, kind of like a mascot for a comic book store, right? Yeah. So I mean, it it really is uh, pretty astounding the fact that uh, just how everything came together. Um, so this was uh, in the in the mid eighties. Uh, New England Comics had, had I think they they formed in. 
83 or 84, sometime around then. And they were looking to, uh, you know, get into, get into publishing uh, just because this was a time in which uh, you could really, you know, put anything out there. So it, it, it owes a lot to the Ninja Turtles um, where that was, you know, just a, an explosion of, of popularity overnight almost for, for that. And it seemed like you could, you could publish anything in black and white and make it gritty and, and whatever, and, and it would be a success. Uh, so uh, the, the folks at New England Comics uh, were looking to uh, not just have a, a mascot for their, uh, for their chain of stores, but uh, they were actually looking to you know, publish some work as well. And Ben came in, and he was 16 or 17 at the time, which, is, which just blows my mind. Um, he said, you know, I've, I've got, you know, this character and, and, you know, they had formed a partnership and, and they published uh, the first issue in 1988. Uh, and it was, you know, it was this huge success. And a lot of that is a product of, you know, the time in which it was published. For, for whatever reason, black and white was huge at that time. I mean, a lot of it, like I said, uh, was, was due to the Ninja Turtles. Um, but, you know, this particular story and this particular character resonated because it wasn't just the same thing so there were a lot of books out there um, just like in any kind of bubble years uh, that published a couple issues and then folded or you know tried to do their own extreme version of, of something and then and then went under uh, but but the tick really stuck around because you know not not only was it a parody not only was it funny but it was good you know it was really quality work um, and it was interesting and the characters were characters you wanted to know what happened uh, you want to know what happened next with them um, so it kind of spiraled from there. Spiral's not the right word because that means it's going down. The opposite of spiral. <laughs> well, whatever that word is, uh, I'm a writer. Uh, uh, it, it really took off from there. So, you know, uh, pretty soon after the, the character uh, was launched, just a, a matter of years, uh, you know, they, they be kind of sputtered into a cartoon, uh, which is, which is re really where it took off. So, uh, one of the things, if uh, if you're ever in in the Boston area, uh, New England Comics is, is still around and still has, uh, I think, seven locations, um, and in a couple of different locations they've got like storehouses um, of Tick merchandise from the '90s, and it is just amazing oh, to wow. see just how much stuff. I mean, first of all, there's no organization to most of it, so it's just piles of stuff, but. Uh, just to see the kind of stuff that uh, that someone said, yeah, let's go ahead and make this. So uh, at a recent trip uh, in May when I was there for Free Comic Book Day, I picked up the uh, official uh, Tick lip gloss or lip balm. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, there's uh, there's also a couple bottles, and I haven't I haven't found one yet, uh, but there there are I've heard of them bottles of the Tick shampoo, uh, which which I hear they're not allowed to sell anymore because it might be toxic. Um, <laughs> Perfect. At, at this point, which makes me want want it even more. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, just uh, you know, all, and not just comics and comic related items like action figures and things like that, but really anything you can think of. You know, just like uh, I'll take band aids. Uh, they weren't band aid brand, but uh, you know, it was it was uh, an off brand uh, bandage. You know, uh, with, with the, the tick on it. Um, so they really went all out. You know, marketing this thing, and, and it really just shows you how what kind of a like a phenomenon that this uh, that this property was in the in the mid '90s. Um, so so yeah, I mean it's it's had peaks and valleys, uh, you know, and I don't know if it's ever really been as big as uh, it, it had it was in '94 and '95. Um, but uh, but I mean, hey, there was a 
there was a live action show in 2001. Uh, there's another live action show that just uh, that just debuted uh, a few, I guess, a couple months ago. So you know the, the character still it's, it still resonates. I think um, a lot of people. One of the really interesting things about the character is that it's hard to find a person if they've heard about it. It's hard to find a person who's ambivalent uh, about the character or who or who doesn't like it. Right. If you talk about the tick, you know, people really have, and a lot of it, you know, comes back to, to the, the cartoon growing up and watching that every Saturday morning. You know, they had a fantastic lineup on Fox at that point because they, they had the tick and then the X Men cartoon and the Spider Man cartoon. Um, all really good, really good shows. Uh, to leave your house. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I never had to go outside and I took advantage of that. The, you know, let's, let's watch some cartoons. So, you know, definitely the, 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 the tick was, uh, was a show that really resonated, I think, with with a lot of people uh, my age uh, growing up, and, and I think that's still the case. So uh, you get people who come to the conventions and, and see the books on the table, and they don't really know anything about. A lot, even some people don't necessarily know that it is a comic or that they're still publishing books, but uh, but they all have always have something to say, good to say about the characters, um, just because uh, you know of that original presentation, and, and I think it really holds up. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm really happy to, to just be associated with that and to kind of uh, rub up against some of that that notoriety. It's funny you say all the uh, all the merchandise that uh, resides up in Boston at one of those stores it makes me think of like Krusty the Clown and everything he had his name on, like the tick pregnancy tests. But uh, tick brand snack cakes. Right. <laughs> I can't imagine though, uh, you know, being a fan of the tick and then coming into writing the tick how awesome a feeling that must be for you how awesome yeah and and for and in a lot of ways the characters change uh when you deal with them uh on a on a kind of create on a creative level um where it's it's forced me to think about the characters in a different way um and i've really come to uh, love the character of arthur uh, a lot more and give him a lot more credit than uh, than I used to and I know at the beginning of this we were talking about sidekicks that we loved and of course Arthur was, was going to come up but he, he really is a character that makes that whole concept work and, and I think that's especially true in, 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 uh, in, in some of the TV shows and, and maybe especially the, the new TV show where Arthur is kind of the main character you know just, just kind of working with that and, and seeing how you know the dynamic not just between uh, those two characters but a lot of the surrounding characters and, and how that works gives me a, a different appreciation for um, just how they were put together and, and you know maybe some of the, the dynamics that were there from the beginning. We're going to have to get back into the Tick series a lot more. I'm going to start mm-hmm. picking that up. But then we're just going to have like two solid months where every episode we just be like, what'd you bring for the comic dump? I got Tick. Oh, I got Tick 2. I got Tick 3. It's like I got that <laughs> giant comic that's full of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, what would be wrong with that? Hey, no, <laughs> not a damn thing. You know what do what thou wilt? <laughs> now, well, they've, they've got the uh, they've got the Tick Omnibus, which which collects uh, Ben's twelve issues, and that that's certainly uh, if you if you read nothing else in, in the in the entire series, and that's uh, that's definitely worth grabbing because uh, um, I know that at the time uh, it was published infrequently uh, because of scheduling and things of that nature, but uh, reading it as one and reading it as a uh, as as a complete story, I think uh, adds a little bit to it because you can see not just the art style change and the characters uh, start to develop a little bit, but you can really see the see the story start to take place, and it really continues into the into the cartoon where you know a lot of the 
a lot of the concepts that uh, maybe got left behind in the comic were, were picked up. Uh, multiple Santa, you know, is a great example of that. <laughs> you know, why why Multiple Santa is is a thing, I don't know, but it, it works, you know, and it's it's really fantastic. And and uh, the last issue of uh, of Ben's run on the series is is where Multiple Santa shows up for the first time. And I don't know that we really even know very much about him. Uh, but then there's an episode of the cartoon where they just kind of take that off and they, they take that and run with it. Um, where you know we we start to uh, get into that concept and see a tidal wave of, of Santa Clauses yeah. and all that. just just absurdity. Um, so yeah, so so definitely uh, if you read nothing else, the uh, the complete Edlin is great. The the Big Blue Destiny by Eli Stone uh, was 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 very weird and really looked into kind of some of the the more absurd aspects of, of the tick. But that's that's definitely something to pick up too if you're uh, if if you're hankering for more. You said you have another one coming out here really soon, right? Yeah, uh, just uh, we just sent that to the printer. I think last month. Um, there's uh, so an event at comic shops, and I think this is the second year for it called Local Comic Shop Day. And and, and I think it's supposed to. The intention uh, is they want to take some of the steam from uh, like Small Business Saturday. Uh, so it, so it takes on that kind of concept. It's not the same week. I think it's a week before, maybe. I, I believe it's the 19th of, of this month. That happens, but um, they uh, have new comics coming out specifically specifically for that. Uh, some some companies are putting out you know variant covers and, and things of that nature. But uh, oh, nice. uh, it's it's an interesting concept, and I hope hope that it takes off. If nothing else, then because I can write books for them. But but yeah, so we've got uh, a brand new issue of the Tick. Most of the ones that I've worked on have been uh either free uh like the free comic book day versions or limited edition like uh comic-con exclusive books and things like that so i'm excited for this one to come out because this is one that you can actually find uh and pay for uh th that kind of magic uh adding those two things together hasn't happened very much for, for <laughs> but, uh, so so i can tell people if you want one uh you don't have to brave the crowds or, or like on on free comic book day you know get there super early to to get the ones that you were looking for um you can you can just walk into a shop, pay some money, and then leave with it. And and I would nice. yeah. I would hope you could do that. Yeah, that would be that would be all right. And what was it last free comic book day that you were all super bummed because we went to like two or three different not this year's but the year before. The year before, yeah, we went to like three or four different shops and they were all gone. It was yeah. like the first one gone everywhere. Again, a lot of that just has to do with character recognition and the fact that you know they, they don't publish uh, issues too frequently and uh, it's almost like seeing it again for the first time there's that recognition or there's that nostalgia that's associated with it I know that the the books um, the free comic book day books they base I mean they don't sell well because they don't they're they're free but uh, the the orders uh, that the publisher gets are, are pretty impressive uh, as far, far as I'm concerned um, and from from what I've heard from people, is that they are one of the first ones to to go every year. So I guess you gotta you gotta get there early to to get the tick on Free Comic Book Day. Even though uh, at these uh, at the vaults at New England Comics, uh, you, there are still some boxes there that they exist. <laughs> uh, so tell your store, awesome. tell your store, put some. I know I know that uh, they do cost they do cost your uh, your real retailers a quarter or something like that. Uh, so it's not free. Um, so that's why if you go to free comic book day, then, you know, you might want to think about actually buying something too. But, but I know that uh, the numbers are good, uh, when it comes to, to, to those particular issues and they, and they, they do seem to, to go pretty fast. 
as we've seen. We, we learned yeah. our lesson, though, this year. We yeah. got there bright and early, and we each got one, thank God. Well, before we uh, cut you loose, uh, another project I wanted to talk to you about was, uh, you already mentioned, was Honcho, that you uh, worked on with Jeff McComsey from, like, Flutter and Fubar. Can you tell us about this project? Uh, so Jeff's a great guy and a, and a great artist. Um, I met him because we have similar names. Uh, <laughs> and, and we uh, were, were exhibiting at the, at the same convention one year. Uh, so it was really just uh, luck of the draw. But uh, he's been a good friend and, uh, a, like I said, a really talented artist as well. He, he brought the concept of, of Honcho to me, um, and I was able to develop it a little bit with him. And uh, I, I think it's, it's sprung, at least the original idea, sprung from the fact that uh, Jeff read uh, the comic adaptation of Don Quixote. Um, and Jeff's a big war buff and, and a, a war comics buff for sure, um, and he kind of wanted to combine the two things. And the, the concept was uh, what was really neat. And, and I guess what sold it for him, for me to, to hop on, was the fact that I've read Don Quixote, uh, and 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 maybe I have a, a little bit different perspective than he does for, from just reading the adaptation. So how we pitch it, and we are pitching it. How we pitch it is that it's uh, Don Quixote meets the Warriors. Uh, mm. with, a, with a little bit of, of baseball uh, thrown in. Um, so all three of those concepts really work for me. But uh, the overall idea with Honcho is that uh, we start off with a scene, and there's, a, there's a, a preview of it online right now. But we start off with a scene where Captain Stanley uh, shows up on the, the, the shores of Wilmington, uh, North Carolina, in 1998. And this is 15 years after the end of World War III. So World War III lasted about 24 hours. And World War IV has, has lasted the, the last 15 years uh, since then, through more conventional means. Um, and, uh, you know, most of the, the, the United States has been destroyed, um, and, and there's a lot of war going on in Europe at this, period, at this point in time. And he shows up uh, claiming to be uh, an emissary of sorts of the United States government in exile, so, uh, or in absentia. So he is uh, this representative for a government that hasn't existed for 15 years, for as, as far as many, most of the people who have survived uh, are, are concerned at this point. Um, and he comes back to the United States to find something a lot different than what he left. Um, and there's a lot of tribalism going on, but not in, the case, not in like a Mad Max sense where everything is, is just savage. Um, a lot of people have formed around the concept of baseball. So... Uh, there are teams and uh, leagues that, that kind of run their show. Um, and it's his job, his goal, to reach a government stronghold in Charlotte. Uh, so this, this first volume kind of follows him as he tries to acclimate himself to, uh, to, to this new world uh, that he's not familiar with, uh, to, to actually make it to the, the city of Charlotte. He meets uh, a 15-year-old um, along the way, and, and he kind of serves as his guide. Uh, but the essential question of this is, you know, is, is Stanley crazy? Uh, you know, does, does he, uh, is he actually a representative of the government? Is he who he seems? Uh, or is he just some madman who showed up uh, with, the, with an army uniform on? Um, so it, it's something that uh, I'm excited about. We are just wrapping up this, this first volume right now, and we should have the, the, the book completed and, and shipped. So we, we ran it as a Kickstarter and it was successful, thank goodness. And uh, we're looking to uh, ship this first volume uh, the beginning of, of next year. Oh, nice. I was just about to ask, you know, how can we see it? But, uh, yeah, so you say, what, January, February you're expecting this to be out? 
Yeah, first quarter of, of 2017, um, you know, that, that preview is, I think, 18 pages online. Uh, the, the first volume runs about 120 pages. Nice. Um, so it's uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully it's successful and we can do more. Uh, but I'm, you know, I, I like the concept and obviously, you know, there are elements uh, that you can compare to the tick for sure, just because they're both kind of over the top, possibly crazy figures uh, that, that no one really knows how to take. I'm excited to read that. That, that yeah. checks off a lot of boxes of things that I'm very <laughs> sure. interested in. Well, that's awesome. And you're going to have to keep us uh, definitely in the loop with the release of Honcho and uh, with future tick issues so we can uh, let our listeners know when and where to get them. Sure. Places for people to check you out. Uh, there's teddyandtheyeti.com, which is like your online blog. Looks like you post uh, weekly on. <laughs> if, uh, if I get an opportunity to. Yeah, so, so Teddy and the Yeti was... Uh, one of the first books. It was kind of like my first self-published book, um, and uh, I super like the fact, if nothing else, that the title rhymes, uh, <laughs> and it's easy to remember. So, uh, so I went all in, and this was like 2008 or something like that, and I bought the you know the domain name and everything. So I'm sticking with it. Um, so heading <laughs> the Eddie takes you to you know to, to my blog, uh, and that is, I'm, and this is uh, probably the case for a lot of uh, creators. I'm not super great with. Uh, well, what do you call it? Um, <laughs> I'm blanking. Someone, someone help me out. It's when you when you marketing. Yeah, there we go. With self marketing. Oh, okay, uh, I got gotcha. you. Uh, obviously, if I can't think of the name, then apparently I don't do a great job. <laughs> uh, but I mean, I, I am online. I, I you know I, I do have that presence. You know, I'm on Twitter. You can follow me. It's at Jeff McClellan. So I, I I struck early and got the uh, got the handle of my name, which which I'm pretty excited about because there are other. Jeff McClellan's out there, and they do want my Twitter handle, and they can't have it. And uh, I'm, it I'm pretty grave, excited, my friend. One of one of my goals in life is to become the most famous Jeff McClelland. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I think I think I'm number two or three uh, at this point. I'm a little bit dismayed that there are so many of us out there, but but I do think that uh, maybe I can knock one or two of them off, either through uh, through you know uh, straightforward means of just becoming famous and selling books, or murder. <laughs> yep. Murder gets my vote. <laughs> Actions well, speak louder than words. <laughs> well, you're the most famous Jeff McClellan we know of. And, uh, man, it's been an honor to have you here on the show with us. Is there Are there any other uh, avenues you would like people to check your work out at? Well, uh, uh, just just go to good old-fashioned Google and uh, add the word comics to my name, and you'll, you'll find some of my work. Uh, I'm uh, working on a, a book called Flutter. Uh, with Jenny Wood and, and Jeff yeah. McCombs. I'm, I'm lettering that book, and I'm also editing that book. Uh, and I think that's... Everything I've done uh, to this point has been kind of goofy and silly. Uh, Flutter, uh, I think, actually is a book that resonates with uh, with a lot of people because it, it features uh, an, an LGBT uh, main character. Um, it's uh, it's a coming-of-age story. Uh, it's something that, uh, that, that that seems to resonate with a lot of people. Um, and I'm just kind of happy to be associ- associated with it in a small way. Uh, Jenny does a, a really great job with that. And uh, we're actually starting work on the third volume of that right now. Um, and that should oh, be out nice. next year. We'll next year sometime. Uh, the first two volumes are out now. And they've won a lot of awards, uh, none of which are uh, are due to me. But uh, but certainly the other the other creators on that book have, have done a, a really wonderful job with that. So. Um, that's definitely something that that listeners should check out if you if you have a chance. You know that Flutter is is available, Amazon. You know a lot of different uh, retailers and also at your at your local comic book shop as well. 
Um, so yeah, so we've got uh, an issue of the Tick coming out in November, and then I just turned in the script for uh, next year's free comic book day issue, uh, which is coming out in May. And there's some uh, uh, some other things on the horizon for that as well, because uh, this show is out and and people are familiar with the character again, and um, so there are a lot of things that we're we're looking to do with that. So. Yeah, just uh, check me out. I, I hide in your closet every night uh, or under your bed, <laughs> you know, and I'm willing to talk to you about things. I'm not like a mean, uh, you know, monster type, you know, just, you know, whatever you want to chat about, I'm, I'm up for. So, you know, leave me leave me some like food. I'll eat it and I'll stick around for a couple weeks. You can't turn down an invitation like that. Well, man, we're going to put uh, all these different avenues to for people to check you out on our website. And I just want to thank you again for being on the show. It's been an honor. Hey, I really appreciate you having me. Jack, what do we have on the website? Go to candairpodcast.com where you can see show highlights, guest info, listen to the show, follow us on all our social media, visit the Hall of Heroes and see the Wall of Justice, check out some videos from our YouTube page, and if you want to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contacts page. And don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Canned underscore Air, and don't forget the Show Us Your Cans contest That's running till, going. Yes, till November 30th. All you have to do is go to our website or even on our Twitter page. You can download the Canned Air can label, print it out, wrap it around a can. You don't even have to put it around a can. We're finding you can just yeah. <laughs> cut it out, <laughs> tape it into a circle, and take pictures of it in cool locations. Send us the pictures. Hashtag here's my can, and you are entered to win. What was it like? Thirteen free comics from yep. Think Alike Productions. T-shirt, t-shirts, t-shirts, stickers. Yeah, you can't go wrong. Free comics. Guys, I think I know why we're not getting more contestants. Why is that? Because we're not calling it the show us your cans can test. Oh, oh, this whole time. Right. See, Jeff, we have problems with marketing too. <laughs> <laughs> what I think you should do is uh, take some cans. And throw them off of bridges, and that will be, uh, I don't know, that will just kind of market itself. And, you know, eventually you'll be on the news. We've actually done this. Skyscrapers <laughs> in Cincinnati have them all around yeah. yeah, check the back alleys of Cincinnati. You'll find some cans down there. got now. a lot of pigeon viewers. <laughs> Real quick, uh, I would be I would be remiss. You're asking uh, how I can promote myself. Uh, if if uh, some of your listeners want to check out, check out uh, franksandbeansonline.com, uh, a friend and I work on... Uh, Kind of uh, a little internet show. Um, so uh, so Larry and I put that together, and uh, I'm proud of it. <laughs> and uh, some episodes are good, and uh, you can decide on the rest. But uh, check that out, too, if you're looking for something different. I'm excited to check it out myself. Frank's and Beans. Yeah, <laughs> with a website name like that, you can't go wrong, <laughs> no. right? Be sure to put that one on the website, uh, too. But only uh, only a little bit of nudity. Not, not too much, but tasteful, I think, at times. Well, any nudity is good in my book. You yeah. can't have none. All right. Uh, What else we got? Uh, On you, check out the show on YouTube. It's now on YouTube. Uh, Yeah. So I think that's going to do it for this week. Until next time, I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. I'm Jake Runyon. I'm here too. I'm Jeff McClelland. (laughs) (laughs) I almost it almost like hit me like right at that point where it was just like too much silence. Oh, I'm supposed to do something here. You got it though. Thanks for listening, everyone. Now running on Kickstarter. Look at you, weak mama's boy. You have such a high opinion of yourself, but you're no better than the rest of us. 
no matter what your social media ranking says. You and your pathetic idea that everything will be fine when you do nothing to change what is suffocating you. You and me, thinking when the moment comes, we'll be different than the rest. That we won't run, that we'll stand and face the enemy. But there is no enemy to face because the enemy is invisible. The enemy is inside you. Don't you want to do something that actually means something? Kill yourself. Sleep inertia pilot slicing through the foam of the days like a radial saw on a stone heart is a 100-page original graphic novel written and illustrated by Valentin Ramon, co-creator and artist of Dave and Hot Damn. You can get your copy by supporting the Kickstarter campaign and pre-ordering. But hurry, nothing lasts forever. I need to get help. Do it from outside. Blowtorch. Whenever there's a fire in your house, be sure to get outside immediately. And once outside, get on CandarePodcast.com. Well, thanks for the tip, Blowtorch, but just one question. What about the fire? And no one is half the battle. G.I. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.